Hi everyone, this is Jean-Marc. I am the creator of Data Mesh, uh, the founder of Next Data. We are reimagining what data sharing could look like. We are growing our team rapidly and we need you. If you are a distributed systems engineer, if you're a product manager or designer of a large-scale PaaS SaaS infrastructure, please check out our page at nextdata.com and look at our open roles. We'd love to hear from you. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Datastacks, you know, thanks for all their help in ha- founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 254, Easing into a Data Mesh Journey, Ocean Spray's Pre-Data Mesh Preparations. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Paul Kavakis, Senior Manager of Data and Analytics at Ocean Spray. Quick note before jumping in, Ocean Spray is just at the beginning of their journey, kind of in their pre-implementation phase. There hasn't been a lot of resistance yet internally. That might make a few people out there jealous, right? But there's a lot of interesting things Paul is doing to ensure that they are ready to decentralize what makes sense to decentralize at the right time. There's a lot to be gained from not rushing in. And Paul also told me he's listened to a whole heck of a lot of episodes and he's picking and choosing things from a lot of different episodes. So people might want to even reach out to him and be like, hey, what what have you learned from listening to so many of the episodes? Also, apologies that my audio in this is a bit weird. I'd yet to build my kind of makeshift sound studio in the Netherlands, so there's a little bit of kind of strange echo things that got somewhat taken out in post-processing, but not all that well. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Paul's point of view. Number one, as many have stated, asking the data team, especially one person, to become an expert on many different areas of the business just to complete some data work for a project just won't scale. At best, it creates incredibly concentrated tribal knowledge. Use this point to drive buy-in for decentralizing data ownership, letting people know, like, nobody can really learn all of this stuff. And if they do, then they're, uh, you know, a, a point of failure if they end up leaving or moving on. Number two, having someone who really knows your internal IT application landscape well can really help in choosing which initial teams to start with for a data mesh implementation. That person already has good relationships and a deep understanding of your operational plane, so you can pick good problem areas and partners. Paul is that. He worked for something like 15 years on their IT and application side, so he knows so much of about that that when he moved over to the data team, he's able to help kind of navigate where they should start and, and kind of even who are the people that are going to be the most friendly. 
Number three, similarly, build your early buy-in momentum with people that are more likely to be excited to participate in a data mesh implementation. This comes up in a lot of episodes. You don't need to convince the most difficult teams to participate at the start. Number four, central ownership isn't necessarily bad until things stop scaling. Having that central ownership means less flexibility and agility to react quickly to market changes or opportunities, but it also means less cognitive loads on teams. It's a trade-off. Number five, many of your domains really won't understand data ownership. Find ways to slowly transition them into understanding what ownership entails, such as starting with documentation and SLOs. What data are they sharing and why does it matter? This isn't going to happen overnight. Number six, if you aren't building overly complex data products, look to find people within the domain that are somewhat technically savvy, especially if they want to advance their careers, and start to prepare them for data ownership. Those might be your data product developers or data product managers. You know, Scott note here, Brian McMillan talked about, you know, a plan to do exactly that. He wrote a book on doing exactly that. So he talked about that in episode 26. Number seven, potentially controversial. Even if you aren't looking to move fast with your data mesh implementation, look to put at least a proto-platform in place so people can at least test out ideas if they want to move more quickly. You know, this can be a little bit dangerous if you get people that are putting things into production that shouldn't be into production yet, but getting kind of that sandbox and letting people get towards being more comfortable with data is always a good thing. Number eight, setting up your testing and data contract framework will probably be a big challenge. Talk to people about what they need and iterate towards it, but it will be difficult to figure out at the start, and you'll start with something suboptimal. Be prepared and go forward anyway with that suboptimal approach to your data contracts. I can't emphasize this enough. (laughs) Number nine, focus on finding the right partners, right? those willing to really partner and learn and try rather than quote unquote the right domain that has the most valuable data or use case. Again, this comes up so often. Number 10, if you are looking at for the right partners, there are good signals to watch for such as who presents their internal results, you know, in kind of a quarterly basis or monthly basis. And they use advanced data graphics because they're likely a domain that really cares about the data and want to dig in more, right? If they're out there already analyzing things and kind of showing that they think that the data is important and not just throwing up some graphs or figures, they're the more likely to want to lean in on this. Number 11, consider how much need there is to decentralize certain aspects of, you know, your data practice. And if there is enough capacity and or work for a domain to actually decentralize into that. Those might sound different, but if there isn't a ton of work, that's a lot of effort for a domain to learn to own data for a small amount of data work. Then Scott note here, Yushin Sun at JPMorgan Chase mentioned they are creating a central team for a handful of small domains where they can't justify a full data product team in that domain in the panel episode on number 233. I think that's a really interesting insight that you can overly decentralize. This doesn't mean you have permission to not decentralize at all, but you know there is a balance there. Data mesh doing data mesh right isn't about trying to decentralize absolutely everything. Number 12, when creating a satisfaction scoring system for data products, consider what is the goal of the satisfaction score and how long that feedback is useful. So when a data product is in beta, harsh but useful scores you know, are valuable, but a two on data quality before version 1.0 might not be relevant once that data product is actually released as an actual product. It's okay to wipe past scores clean when there's kind of a new iteration or something like that. You don't have to have those uh, Amazon reviews from 10 plus years ago. Number 13, potentially controversial. When looking at your first data products, you don't want to lift and shift existing data assets to your platform, but you can go after existing use cases as your early products if you are providing the same thing in a better, easier to manage format. This is controversial because a lot of people have said, don't try and target lift and shift. So I think it's interesting if you can find people that are like, oh, this would make my life easier, so I will move it over. Number 14, Don't let perfect get in the way of good or progress. 
It's okay to put in solutions that won't work in the long run as long as you acknowledge they will need to be replaced and give yourself the room to replace them. It's taking on technical debt through a conscious choice and not locking yourself in. Finally, number 15, potentially controversial, when you are getting started, make sure to work with a few different areas to prevent yourself from delivering a solution, even at the mesh level, that is overly targeted to one domain's needs. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Paul Kavakis here, who is the Senior Manager of Data and Analytics at Ocean Spray. If you're not familiar, they make uh, delicious drinks. And, <laughs> you know, for, for a while, I was relatively addicted to, I can't remember, it was like cranberry and blueberry or something. So um, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. So Ocean Spray is starting their their journey, and um, but kind of going at at a pace that makes sense for them, right? It's it's a very, very interesting company. The structure and stuff is, is very interesting. We might get into that a little bit, but um, like trying to not just rush into doing data mesh for the sake of doing data mesh, how can you make that, that journey into it? How do you plan ahead, but also how do you know when you're kind of done planning and, and all of that? So I'm really excited to kind of have uh, more of these conversations about people going at a reasonable pace instead of trying to absolutely blitz through <laughs> the, the data mesh journey as fast as possible. But before we get into that, Paul, if you don't mind, if you can give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sure. Uh, thanks for inviting me, Sart. It's uh, It'll be an interesting episode, I hope. My name is Paul Kavakis. Um, I've been with Ocean Spray for about over 20 years now. And I've been in software my entire life since I was like 10 years old. I started develop, started writing software and started writing code and playing game, playing, writing games and all that. So throughout most of my career, I've been a software developer. Uh, up to about probably about five years ago, I kind of switched more into data analytics and kind of dealing APIs and kind of managing our data right now, um, you know, Power BI stack and you know, all of the platform that it sits on top of. Um, and in the process of kind of managing that and looking through that, sounds to look at data mesh and looking at it really just, it kind of like resonated with me because it's all about software development for data. So since I've been a software developer most of my life, it, you know, it really made sense to me. So that's really what we started a few months ago. We started looking into that. That's kind of where we were at now. Awesome. And, and I would love to hear about that kind of, well, let's talk a little bit about what were the specifics around what made you realize you couldn't keep doing what you were doing? Like, what was the specifics that was the trigger to say, okay, it's time to start to to look at this? Like, did you have, was there like an aha moment or was it kind of a building moment or, you know, yeah. how did you start to say, let's, let's start to look for something different? Yeah. So there were a number of ones, but number of different things that really kind of hit the, hit the mark there. But the biggest one was really we're working on this project. It's a financial project. So getting all of our financials together for the manufacturing section. And in trying to do that, um, basically I had to become the expert about manufacturing and receiving and transportation and logistics and understanding all that data. And I'm like, it's great, man. Like now I'm to the point where they're like, ah, oh, yeah, when you're done, you want to come work for our, you know, for our department? You know, that obviously is not scalable. And I'm like, I can't, you know, now to go around and learn, you know, all of marketing and then go learn all of, you know, whatever, so on and so forth. So that's probably the biggest one is really just the fact that like understanding and distributing out kind of who owns data and what it really means. Um, but beyond that, even though I've been in software development, like 15 years ago, I wrote an analytic, I wrote this uh, application that we use, still use today that does our analytics. It's essentially kind of like a pivot table, but it's a custom application that we built. Um, 
And, you know, I supported that. I was 24 by seven, you know, on call support and everything else. I got in all the calls at night at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning and got bad data, you know, you get stuff out of, we, we use SAP and we get, you know, date fields out of SAP that, I, you know, zero, 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 dash, zero, zero, dash, zero, zero. That, that's not a date. That ain't going to work very well. So, so I've been on, you know, both sides of, of kind of supporting uh, Supporting data, supporting analytics and transformations and all that, you know, that type of data platform, data flow, all the way to now, like I said, working with the business teams to understand not only what they are trying to do, but actually understand their data. So those are probably the two biggest pieces. Yeah. And, and was this that it's like you are the one that's leading it or was there kind of like a group saying of everybody realizing hey, wouldn't it be great if we could do more? Or like, has it been that there's building demand for this? Or is it more that you're you're kind of driving it because you're like, I see the straining points and I need to address the straining points or, or you know, because I'm, I'm wondering for that conversation about buying it, right? If everybody's coming to you and saying we need something different or if they're happy, but you're so overloaded that you're like, hey, we've got to change this. So it's right now it's mostly me leading it, but really what actually happened is we have a consultant partner, a company called Migaro, that they were like, have you looked at data mesh? You know, what are you doing? You know, what's your plans to do anything with data mesh? You know, about six months ago or so. That's when I started looking at it and looking at that and looking at, you know, our current workload, everything that's going on. I was like, these two could really fit together. Um, so my, you know, my director and the, um, the CD, the CDTO, the Chief Data Technical Office, I forget what exactly what it is, but that he, um, they were on board with like supporting this, and we were already ta- we started talking about how we could push this out to the rest of the company. Um, the good thing is that at the same time, we're also in the process at Ocean's Way of really going through. Well, actually, let me take a step back. We got to the point where um, we basically the pendulum had swung very, very far to the left where everything was centrally di- centrally owned, tech owned everything, tech knew more of the business processes than even the business did in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, you know, tech fully ran the entire process, business processes, knew the data, knew that, you know, know what was going on. Obviously people left and things have moved and now, you know, nobody knows anything because it's not well documented. And now we're trying to, you know, kind of keep everything going and understanding what's going on. So, we're in the process of going through the entire, uh, basically the entire stack of all the data that we use, of all the software and applications, the ERP systems, and all of the stuff that we use, and figuring out what our future is going to look like. So, in doing that, we're without even them really knowing what they're doing, they're basically defining domains and defining defining business processes and defining the data that owns like it's owned around each of those business processes. So, I'm good working into that process so that we can take it, you know, all the way to, all the way into a data mesh so that they are not only just defining the business process now, but that, that they own it in the future. Yeah. And that it sounds like essentially they're already finding the data products for you, you know, to, to support yeah. the business processes and you just kind of yes. work backwards into that. So, you know, as you said, this, this came up kind of six months ago of, Hey, have you started to look at this? You started to say, Hey, you know what? We are having these problems. Let's let's look into this a, a bit deeper. How did you start to think about that decentralization journey, right? Like we were talking in the pre-call, we were talking about like how do you plan ahead? A lot of people are stuck in this planning phase, but like let's talk first of not just starting, right? Where you go, "Okay, we want to do data mesh. Let's start day 1." versus like how are we going to roll this out? How are we going to think about that? Like, how did you start the planning journey? Was it around collecting outside information? Was it about you going and doing a lot of research and homework? Like, what what did you start to do that that made it so that you're kind of preparing yourself to do this story? Yeah, so we did. There's really two main things that we kind of done. I've done a lot of research, a lot of uh, reading, a lot of watching your podcasts, a lot of, <laughs> you know, across the board, just to kind of understand what all the different capabilities are. Uh, and I started to write a couple of blog posts about what I've done and what I'm planning on doing. Um, so I've kind of put from a technical standpoint, I've kind of like laid out a roadmap of kind of 
what I think a, f- a full data mesh implementation might look like. Obviously, it's going to change. You know, six months from now, it's going to be probably a lot different than even what I think it is today. But it has a lot of the key different points. You know, testability, all of the boom check with the standpoint, kind of all of the different things that you'd expect to see documentation, testing, all of that pieces. So I kind of laid out the roadmap from that standpoint as far as what we're doing, you know, what we're going to do. We started to build some of that from a um, from a you know company standpoint and data products and yeah from that standpoint, it's very much uh, we have a lot of stuff today. Obviously, you know, ocean space might around forever, so we've got a ton of different things today which are kind of particular as maybe data products. I, they're not data products, but you think that they could be data products, probably a better way to put it. So what I've done is I've started with a lot of these key pieces that are out there. So things around, you know, like revenue reporting and financial reporting and manufacturing and some of the different pieces that might be up that we already have out there today that I know something about. So those ones there, what we've done is I started to look into those domains really and broke those down into different pieces of what could potentially be data products inside of each of those. I know, you know, from what we already have today, I kind of know where they come from. I kind of know who's responsible for them from a business standpoint. Uh, so we've started to work with each of the different teams and kind of transfer ownership to them, to them, help them uh, so that they can, you know, help document it, help define use cases for it define, you know, what the SLOs and the different things might be. Some of this, obviously, this is all kind of work in progress. So different pieces are at different stages. But that's really what we're doing is we're taking kind of the things that were pre-assets today, data assets, just things that are there that we're maintaining from the central uh, central team and breaking those down into the individual pieces and say, okay, let's, where does this come from? Who can we work with to get that and make this into more of a data product instead of just kind of like an asset that's out there? And when you're talking to these domains, you know, I mean, I'm sure they call themselves lines of business or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, whenever I'm talking to, I have to switch between those two phrases. But um, when you're talking to them about, hey, you're going to have to own your data, is this something where they're pushing back or are they kind of bought in? I mean, I'm imagining it's kind of across the board that some are like, yay, some are like, nay, <laughs> you know, some, yeah. some are excited, some are, are pushing back. But like, how, how in general are you finding that willingness to start to take ownership where you don't just go, I'm throwing it on your plate. It's like, we're going to help you get to a place where you can actually do this. Okay. So- what we did with the uh, with this is we really kind of concentrated on the people that we know would be more receptive to this. Uh, obviously, I know there are going to be some people that are going to be less receptive. We worked with them. You know, they said, you've been doing this for 15 years. Why should I stop? Why should I start now? And so we're not really concentrating on that area. We're concentrating on the people that we know are going to be more receptive. Um, what's kind of happened just naturally in each of the different business teams there's been one or two people that have started joined, you know, more recently that tend to be on the younger side. They tend to be more techni- uh, technically savvy and whatnot. So they've kind of taken over the, what will be, you know, kind of the curator of the data for that team. So we're working mostly with that, with those people because they, a lot of them might come from another, another team, you know, another, um, another job where they've used different things and they've had different access to stuff. So we're using kind of a lot of that experience that they have from other places and the fact that they're just more, more savvy and more kind of want to learn and advance their careers. And we're working with those people to kind of really drive home who's, you know, who we're working with first. Obviously, in some of the big areas, you know, manufacturing, that's a big area for us. Well, that makes sense. I think, um, Especially with your, it doesn't sound like you're in a huge, huge rush to to tr- change everything. It's like this is a, an opportunity because everybody's starting to say, "Okay, we've got a, a we've we are seeing that we're under strain and we need to change some things, but that we're not like rushing into this." And so, I think that's um, a really, really helpful uh, point for other people to as well look for is finding those people within the domains where you don't necessarily have to have it at the highest level. You know, you don't want to come in and say, hey, 
um, I'm I'm undermining you, and I'm going to um, uh, take your people's time and and allocate it to what I want. But at the same point, there might be some people that get you, if not data mesh ready, if not that whatever, that they're at a a level where they're going to be um, helping you advance what you're trying to do. Right, that they're they're going to prepare the domain to move forward, and, and it sounds like is is that the right way that, to think about kind of where people are headed right now? Yeah, that's very much kind of where we're at. Is we've got in a lot of the key areas they've hired what I'm going to hopefully turn into some sort of analytical engineer type person, uh, but today they're more like they you know we use Power BI. That's you know that front end visualization. So they and understand Power BI, so they understand the data, and they understand from a technical standpoint, you know, how to build DAX and, you know, things like that, and kind of a little more data, uh, data literate, a little more, you know, get it, their hands dirty with understanding what the data means and how to work with it. So we're taking, using those people to kind of help drive forward what we're trying to do. Yeah, see, seeding the domain so that it's ready for moving forward, but not being like, okay, we've now handed all of this off, especially to somebody that's maybe a little bit more junior and you go, Hey, we've handed off all data ownership in this domain to your, you know, your new person. That's the uh, junior on your side. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much like getting everybody ready, getting things ready, using our own internal team and resources that, since we've been doing this and supporting it for, you know, who knows how long that, you know, we know a lot of the data, we know a lot of the pieces of the things that we're, like I said, those are the first ones we're doing is the ones that we already manage and maintain today. So, and, you know, when we were talking in the pre-call, we were talking about the concept of moving at the right pace. And like, it sounds like you're just being very pragmatic and that it's maybe your nature to be like this of, hey, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. But like, if somebody else is out there and they're like, this is a problem, I must fix it. And I must fix it now. I must fix it as quickly as possible. Like, how do you think about having that conversation with them or what what are you learning or what have you what could you share about kind of figuring out what is that right pace for the organization because you know organizational change is tough especially if your organization isn't used to change so like how are you thinking about that that right pace and not getting out of yours yeah so i think we have kind of there's two things that are really driving this forward besides all the kind of uh, people put people in process stuff that we've talked about. He said, I'm doing the technical piece as well. So by having kind of a technical base that we'd be able to follow on, if somebody wants to try and move a little bit faster, they say, oh, we really want to fix this. We really want to you know, get these going. Or you know, Maybe they've read some stuff about data mesh. They think it's really cool and they want to try to figure out how to do it. Um, then by having some of the technical underpinnings kind of there, we should be able to move faster with those people by because we have that uh, that that we can fall back on. Right now, we're doing more of it kind of on the side, more of it on our, our own time. Uh, a lot of this is really work that's being done in addition to you know, all my normal day work, day job that I do. So I'm doing this and it's kind of an extra piece. But by having kind of that technical piece, that's really the I know it's people process is the biggest, most difficult piece. But having the technical piece that you can fall back on and you know what, what's there, you know what capabilities are there, allow you to push people down into whatever whatever speed that they want. They want to go slow and we want to slowly do one data product at a time. Great, we'll do that. I'm okay with that. We'll test everything out as we're doing it. If somebody wants to move faster, having a underpinning of what's there will let us move faster as needed. And. Are you finding that if somebody wants to move faster than your, I mean, is that anybody moving faster than you're able to kind of put support in place for them? You know, I'm thinking of like the old Looney Tunes cartoons or whatever of the, the railroad going down the track and their, you know, bugs or whatever is is laying the track at the same point. Are you finding that people are trying to get ahead of themselves? Or are you finding that people are willing to go at a pace that that makes sense for the organization so far i haven't had any problems so we'll be everyone's going a lot of this a lot of what we're trying to do even beyond just you know the normal understanding the business process understanding the data try to put a lot of 
like testability, a lot of observability and stuff in place. Most of the people that I've talked with and that we've had to work with don't haven't really thought done, you know, they don't think about this on any, any sort of regular basis. So just kind of saying, okay, yeah, these are the things that we're talking about, the things that we're thinking of being able to do. Um, you know, I, some of the times, sometimes I ask questions like, all right, what do you think, what would be the right thing to test via on your data products? You know, what tests should we do? And they're like, I don't know. It should be all there and it should be good and it should be right. Okay. How do I know that it's all there and it's good and it's right? <laughs> so it's a lot of new concepts um, that we're introducing, even to people that are like some of those questions that I was just talking about, I've done to kind of local tech teams as well, kind of own like customer or some of the kind of more core um, govern type of data that we have. So. Yeah, it's it's a difficult uh, thing to kind of say, hey, we're doing this entirely new approach and, you know, something that you haven't thought about, especially that. Um, you know, we had, I had a recent recording with um, Sophia Tanya from ThoughtWorks about like setting up um, a testing framework for data. And especially when you're thinking about, hey, we're making a change to this column. What is, how is that going to flow up and downstream and, and all of that? And it's like, I don't think anybody's doing consumer-driven testing, but everybody kind of agrees consumer-driven testing should be a thing. But, you know, so yeah. like... I think are, are you having conversations with people and they're they're afraid of all of the new things or are they just kind of like hey we'll work with you we're going to pair because the the reason why I'm digging into this is a lot of people out there that are listening are probably pretty jealous of everything you've said thus far which is that you've got the buy-in of of management you've got people are are you know leaning into having these conversations they're leaning into potentially owning their data that's very atypical right you're 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 in a very atypical spot and so i mean where where are you having the things that you're concerned about or where are you having things where you're like Hey, I think people are are just smiling and nodding instead of actually getting it and saying yes. Is there is there that kind of thing that's going on, or is it just like everybody's understanding that things have to change, but that it's going to change not overnight, and that you're going to kind of all collaborate, and work together to go forward? So, I, I if I painted a super rosy picture, I didn't mean to. <laughs> I very much have targeted kind of the who we're working with at first who the first couple of people are that we're working with. And I've done that intentionally so that I knew it would be people that I would be able to work with that were able, able, willing, and ready to take on, you know, additional responsibilities of ownership and kind of being responsible for from data all the way through to the front end, you know, reporting pieces that they have, that they have. So that part, it, that's probably the biggest reason why, I, you know, things are rosy. I know as I move move out and move out to different domains that we're going to run into lots of different kind of issues and push back um, as far as especially ownership. Anytime you try and push more work onto anybody, then you're going to be, you're going to get pushback. But these first couple of people that we're working with and like I kind of talking about the big call, I'm very, we're very new to this. I don't have a ton of stuff in production. It's more of things that we're working on and we're building. It was, you know, starting to kind of get ready to move up into production, uh, but we're not truly anything really in production at this point. So that is the goal. That is where we're trying to get to. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't think we'll have a ton of the initial people. Like I said, I don't think we'll have a ton of, ton of problems with the initial people as we move outwards. That, that's where we'll run into other issues with people as far as trying to get them to understand the goal and the vision of what we're doing and why we're doing it. I still would say it's 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 a rosy picture, but that's just the reality. So it's it's yeah. nice to hear that. But and and this is something that I think it's it's nice to have a conversation with somebody who is so early in their journey. Most people are very unwilling to have a conversation until they're like you know the number of times people have said, "Give me six months in production before I I'll <laughs> even consider it." Um, but I think there's some good points about the momentum you're building, right? You're you're building up the momentum before really getting going. You're starting to say, okay, what are the tools? Hey, do people know how to use these? Let's get people kind of 
leveraging some tools, but not necessarily that they're um, that they're experts in anything. And you know, when you think about the platform, you should build and the capabilities for people. You want to make it so they don't have to be experts in the tools. They're just you know experts in the data. But um, I think that where I'm seeing a lot of people struggle is that they focus too much on um, going for, quote unquote, the right domains instead of the right partners, right? And so finding those right partners, finding those willing partners, the willing and and able and capable and, you know, that that is something that a lot of people are struggling with. Was it that you already knew these because you know you've been there for fifteen years, right? So you 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 know <laughs> you know the people very well. You know a lot of the domains. You were able to to kind of um, do that, which at a larger organization, they're probably you know a hundred thousand person company. Or I just talked with somebody from Volkswagen who has uh, seven hundred thousand people. So um, it's maybe not that that exact thing. But I'm I'm trying to to find how others can leverage what what you've started to do of finding those those capable people was it you just kind of knew them ahead of time had the relationships or was there some like some sign that others could look for or yeah and I, I mean i from what we've done it's very much not only did i i know the people i mean ocean spray you might think it's a big giant company but it's really not it's a smallish relatively small company um so I kind of already knew a lot of the different people that are in the company again, many of 20 years, whole thing, you know, all that. But one of the things I would say probably to look for is uh, look for the teams that, so we have, I'm sure most companies have something. So we have MBRs, management business reviews or monthly business reviews. So in those MBRs, try and find somebody that is not just putting up a bunch of numbers. So like we have certain groups of people where like the review is just, here's the number, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Just row column number. Find somebody who has a uh, MBI that looks a little bit more involved, a little bit more, whether it's graphically involved or whether it's, because if they are taking the data and manipulating it and making something nice and not just like rows and columns of numbers, they typically understand something to do with data. Now, maybe it might just be they you know they might be graphics designers and they'd be able to be you know, make things pretty, but if they are doing something visually, so look for something different. That's really the probably the biggest key is look for something different, whether it's in like your monthly business review or whether it's in some sort of presentations that they do. Find somebody that, you know, the final output might be the best, uh, not the best, but different than everybody else. Yeah. They're 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 leaning in already on yes, yeah. so they're they're at least, and I guess one thing that's come up in some conversations is a lot of people that are struggling are going to domains and saying, you have to give your data to everybody else versus we're going to make you more capable. We're going to make you um, better with your data. So that's going to mean that you're you're better. And as part of that, then it will also mean that the rest of the organization can access the data and we can do this. Uh, you know, is that is that a selling point that you're going with or is it not one that you even need to go with? Is it so that's not one you've had that sorry, we've had you've said that a couple of times in different podcasts, and that's what I've never really fully understood. Now, there's always data that people have that's, you know, off to themselves that they, you know, not necessarily sharing. But from you know twenty years ago, our core data has been available to the whole company. Now maybe just rows and columns and whatnot. So like you want sales data, you you we could open that application that I wrote wrote you know, twenty years ago and see all the sales data and export it and put it into Excel and take it and do whatever you want. You know, trade data has been available. So there's a lot of different data that's been available. Um, one of the biggest things that have come up more recently is that more and more people are trying to get access to the data. Now, it's not that people are holding it to themselves. It's that we have a lot. OceanSpray uses a lot of off-the-shelf applications. We don't write a lot of custom apps anymore. We did that you know, for the first 15 years I was here, but now we're very much used kind of off-the-shelf, third-party kind of tools. 
and that's what's generating all the data. So people have to like get access to that, export it out of there, do something, you know, to get to, to get to the data. Uh, so sharing data is not uh, convincing people that sharing data is the right thing. I've never really seen as a huge problem. I said we've done that in some fashion for some core data as long as that bet is. Yeah, that I mean that is somewhat unique and and it, where I'm finding a lot of people are getting bought in is when you go to somebody and go, we're going to make you better with your own data. And then as part of that, we're also going to share it with the rest of the org. But it's it's great that you've got that kind of sharing culture, which I think is one of those signs that you're also going to be more ready, right? If you already have a sharing culture, if you already have these, like, I mean, the monthly business reviews, um, that is not something, I mean, it's, it's a smaller organization, so you can, you can have that, you know, a hundred thousand person organization, not everybody can sit in on every domain's monthly business review, (laughs) but that is, is I think a sign of, can you even get access to information to understand if people who, who would be leaning in and like going out there and finding that so that you're prepared um, and, and kind of doing the back channel research instead of just going to the head of that domain and going, you now own your data. You have to share all of your data with everybody. Like, here's the way, go. Um, I think you're building up a lot of this momentum and not making it scary, right? It doesn't sound like when you're talking about ownership that it's honestly true, true ownership because it's not that you're saying, you absolutely have to own everything from the start. You're still going to be supporting them. You're going to be working with them. And then they're going to transition into that kind of true ownership over time. So it sounds like the reason why it's so rosy is because you're, you're, you've got a good culture, but you're also setting itself, you're setting up the people to be like, we're going to make you successful. We're going to make this work for you. Yeah. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the kind of, work, especially probably engineering work, I probably have a hard time truly getting that fully distributed. We will probably have a more central engineering team because you know the team's a small team now. I can't imagine that every the weed's gonna have their own small team. <laughs> There's just not enough uh, you know, not enough time and work. So there'll still be a lot of centralness. <clears throat> even though we're gonna try and distribute out like the ownership and distribute out the kind of responsibility for it. But a lot of the more technical stuff will probably remain more in the central team as opposed to being fully distributed out resource-wise. And, you know, I had uh, somebody from Iterable on, uh, Rhea Singh, and she was talking about, um, you know, they're kind of embracing some aspects of data mesh, but kind of not because they're at a scale where they don't need to fully distribute that, right? Um, JP Morgan Chase even talked about on a recent panel um, I think it'll be out before this episode. I always get kind of confused as to <laughs> things are coming out when, but um, that there were some domains that were small enough that it just didn't make any sense for them to own their data. So that that data ownership fell back onto a central team. So you might have a couple of domains that truly do own their data or own it 80, 90%. And these other ones, you know, you've got to, domain of 10, 12 people or something like that. You know, I imagine logistics and shipping is much bigger for you, but like for a software company or something like that type of, of things or facilities management when, you know, people have like two offices and they don't have a yeah. big manufacturing facility, you don't need like them to fully own if it's going to be way too much overhead. And so I think having that balance is really important. Now, I don't want to give people permission to just not decentralize any of that ownership, right? Like you have to test where, whether it makes sense or not. But I, I like this approach of you, you're, you're not doing data mesh for the sake of data mesh and you're not saying I have to do all of it because you're like clearly all the signs are saying you, you don't fully need to go all the way here, but a 100,000 person company probably doesn't want to go and, and do the same amount of decentralization in CU. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And even to the point where um like we will have we will have domains. Well, even in my you know, in my situation, we'll have domains where they're 
you know, 80, 90% of the way decentralized and some that are maybe, you know, 30, 40, 50% central decentralized. But even in those ones that are less, we're still going to try and shift the ownership of the data itself. So like defining what they are, what it means kind of from a business standpoint, shifting that, at least that responsibility onto the, onto the domains because they have the context. I don't think it, context is everything. Like you say, a bunch of times. And I don't have the context for all of those, especially the little domains, because I've never worked with them before. So I don't know what, you know, what a lot of things might mean. And and there may be some things that get lost in translation between that, but there is somebody that's at least overlooking it versus there's this clear, sharp handoff of, okay, the data comes out of my application. It's now on you, data team, instead of like, hey, we're collaborating to make sure that these things are are owned by someone and that there's a maintenance kind of concept to this, that this doesn't just, it's not as if this is done, this is a product, like that it's ongoing and that as things change, you know, Abhi Sivasilam from, I think, episode nine was talking about at when he was at Flexport, the concept of an order had changed and had grown in complexity 10x, right? And so like having people that are are kind of aware of this, it just, it sounds like you're really setting yourself up for success, but not setting yourself up to try to be the perfect data mesh use case instead of we're taking what what does work. I, so many people say they're just taking what works from data mesh for them. And it's like, you're just taking the easy parts. It doesn't sound like you're doing that. It sounds like you're taking the parts that are going to work for you. And, you know, if you grow and all this, you know, it doesn't sound like Ocean Spray is really in that kind of uh, we must hyper grow type of mode, which is kind of a nice uh, organizational approach of, um, but that you're not, um, if things do change, then you're going to continue to de- decentralize if that makes sense, or you'll kind of shift the pendulum back and forth as you're testing. And and have you communicated that with people or, or they just kind of inherently know that or? Uh, so I haven't really communicated that. I don't think we're really far enough along to the point where things are going to shift back and forth. I, they will. I definitely expect them to shift back and forth across different teams and different times. Um, one of the things that I want to try and do is, you know, a lot of people have a score, you know, like a, you have a data product and you give us, you know, rating one to five or whatever like that. Um, I'm going to do that. Um, you know, people can vote, vote on it and give it a score. But I'm going to try also actually make that a composite score. So I'm going to do things like if there's tests to find, there'll be a test score. If there's usability, there'll be a usability score. So kind of you'll see not only will the data product, you know, change over time, but you'll see if people stop using it, you'll see like, you know, isn't going to slowly go down. If it's changing all the time because people don't really know what they're talking about, they're just still you know, making version two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The, the score would go down again. So you could kind of see kind of the liability of what those data products might look like over time. And you can you got to see what it changes and what, you know, all the things like that. That's not built yet. That's a theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, and it's a little bit beyond kind of the net promoter score of like, hey, yeah. were you satisfied with this? It's and, and I think having one thing that, that I really liked from the folks at NAV, um, which was um, Auden and, and Joran, um, they did something they called cake-driven development. And that was that anytime somebody brings out a new data product, their whole team gets like a very nice like gourmet cake that gets brought in. And then and that gets posted into a Slack channel and then people can ask questions about their data product and that type of thing. It feels like that's kind of the same type of, of attitude that you're going for of we are seeing that you're putting in the effort. So we're going to reward that and we're going to give you good feedback. But like, I'm sure, you know, the initial data products, people aren't going to know what's good or bad, but you know, it's not like your data product is bad. Therefore you're bad. It's like, Hey, the data product needs work. Like, let's talk about that. It sounds like you're just kind of setting yourself up for a collaborative process instead of kind of a, uh, you know, fly by the rules type process. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get to is very much I've talked about that school a second ago. I will keep, you know, when we're first developing something, if it's changing a lot and tests are failing all over the place, you know, we'll just drop all that data when we get 
release the data product so it doesn't look bad. Yeah, you because know, again, it's the whole point is to succeed. It's not to follow exactly strict rules and be like, yep, you're not doing this, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. It's very much of like, you have whatever, you have sales data, you have logistics data, other people can make use of that. Let's get that out there so that everybody can make use of it, however, you know, however it makes sense for that. So what succeed? Well, yeah, and, and you talked about um, kind of, I'd like to talk a little bit about what you're planning on the user interface because, you know, it's not like it doesn't sound like you're taking your people and putting them through these like extensive boot camps of, you know, to get them to high data fluency and things like that. Uh, are you just kind of exposing them to the Power BI and that you're going to try and work behind the scenes to make sure everything just is there? Or like, how are you thinking about the the data consumers and also making sure that they actually really do understand what they're consuming if they're going to make key decisions off of it. Yeah. So there's two kind of two phases to that. And you touched on kind of both types on both of them really. The first one is Power BI is what we use. So one of the output channels of kind of the consumer facing data products that we do will be essentially a Power BI model. So people will be able to say, okay, I'm going to go connect to model X and that will have sales data and, you know, top definitions and descriptions, they can understand what it is that all the different tables and fields and relationships might mean, what the different measures and calculations might mean and how they use use cases. So that would be one of the uh, output ports we're trying to build. That's actually the first use case that we're really pushing all the way through. There's two of them that we're working on, but one of the first ones is all around sales data. You know, that's just general data that people have access to that, you know, is used a thousand different ways. So um, that's kind of the first one. The So that'll be kind of the bulk main population of the company would probably just use Power BI, go look at reports, go look at data coming out of Power BI, which is an output channel that is driven by all this data mesh stuff that we have, that some people probably won't even care, most of the people probably won't even care about. The next level kind of be below that is what we, we, we want to build, which we haven't built yet, we've talked about it and kind of did a little bit of design work of what we want, is um, we use Microsoft Teams. So you can embed a Teams app right inside of that. So I'm going to call create a central data hub application that people could go into and they can look at and they can see all the data products that are available. They could do searches and filters and say, show me you know, this domain, this domain type data and see a description of it, see use cases, you know, see different pieces out, you know, see all the tables or the fields that might be in that data. Uh, and then from there, be able to connect to different output channels, whether it's, you know, download a file that it might download a file to use and play with it in Excel or connect to it to through Power BI or through an API or through, you know, any other different method that we end up building. Yeah. And it, it kind of sparked a, a reminder of me of um, a little bit of what, uh, Adavinta with uh, Xavier Gumara Ragol uh, was talking about of, hey, we're going to create some like actual show and tell type things. They've got sample notebooks that come with each data product to be like, hey, here are the queries that we think are interesting from this. Not these are the only queries that you can do, but like that type of, of thing I think is really, really interesting and and useful for a lot of folks to just kind of spark their creativity and not say this is the only way to use this but um you know honestly that's where i got that idea from that wasn't in my original design was from that episode <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good that the uh that the podcast is helpful for folks um yeah i, I really i like that concept a lot i kind of talk about it um still even though that was literally 200 plus episodes ago. I think that was like episode 38 or something. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to wrap up on this idea of, and we've, we've had it kind of as a through line, but of getting going versus getting it perfect and that it's okay to not be perfect at the start and kind of where you're going with these initial data products, right? That it's okay for it to be simple views and things like that. Like, how are you thinking about communicating that to people internally? Because people typically think of data as right or wrong. 
you know, and so this one or a zero, like how do you make it something that actually resonates with people that they feel like they can rely on this data, but that you're also not trying to go overly complex? So if we take kind of that first use case that I was talking about, basically the sales data, making kind of my general sales data available, the first data products that we're building, which will probably be more internal than really external, although I know a few people that will probably use them, are really, like you said, simple views. They're just views that are sitting on top of the data. That data is the same data that's driving our models today. So like our Power BI models, things today. So it's this, we might, there'll be some differences without probably create structurally, you know, different things we use Snowflake. So different structure and Snowflake, but it'll be the same data and the same values. So I know that, you know, from a data perspective, it's as right as it is today. Whether that's 100% right or not, that's a different story, but that's, that's from another episode. Uh, so that's kind of the throughput there. So we're using data that we already know. We know the data's right. We know the data's good. Uh, and the, the model that like the Power BI model, that final data product that sits on top of all the rest of those, those will be pulling in these space data products. So the producer alkaline data products that are really coming directly out of SAP or various other systems will be merged together into a more cohesive you know, model data product that's consumer line data product. That way people can use that. So people will really more likely use that one because that one's got relationships between different tables and whatnot. But there are people that I already know that will be able to take the raw data and do stuff with the raw data that they can kind of do today. People are exporting stuff out of, you know, Power BI and stuff today to get at the raw data. Uh, we'll work with those people to switch them to say, hey, you know, you can do that directly through this new method here. And we'll work with them to get that. Well, and, and it's funny, the word raw data is, is it can have a couple of different meanings because I talked to... Um, uh, Michelle Conway, who's a uh, lead data scientist at, at Lloyd's Banking, and uh, we were just talking, you know, offline about this. And I said, you know, with Data Mesh, it, it provides you uh, a clean source of data. So you know, this data that you want, um, it's it's actually you know cleaned for you and and prepped for what you need it for. And she was like, I don't, I want the raw data. I want, I don't want it to be transformed. And I'm like, then you but you still want it cleaned, right? Where you want it that it's a reliable source, but that it's just non-transformed. And like that just clicked in her. You could just see that the physical click of like, yes, having a reliable source of clean data, but that it's not, you know, already transformed and I have to untransform it would be perfect because that would, that would just solve so many of my challenges. And so like having that conversation of those people using the raw data, do they need it as untransformed? And so you go, that's going to be in the data product. Or do you actually want it transformed because you're having to do these same transformations? You know, um, Con Chow, um, when he was at Northern Trust, had a an episode and he was talking about they had data services and the quality just wasn't there. And then they talked to, um, you know, the four different users of, of a data service instead of, you know, a data product. And three of the four would have been doing the same transformation on it, so that transformation got done three different times, and all three of them had to do quality checks and like all of this stuff instead of pushing that back up into the product level. And so I think, like you're you're again, I think yes, yeah, I think you'll have challenges when you start to talk to domains that aren't as bought in, but I do think that um, there's a lot that can be learned from yours, but there's also a a lot that's non applicable to people out there. Because so much of your stuff is in this sweet spot of you're not, you know, under this massive time crunch, you're not um, having this big, big pushback of resistance. You've got enough institutional knowledge where it's not like you're dropped in on day one and you're trying to meet everybody and hand over responsibilities to them. But I, I think there's a lot of, of, like I said, of good learnings as to how can you set yourself up to be successful because, you know, I mean, I can't guarantee that you're going to be successful, but from everything that you're saying, I think you've got a very, very good shot because of 
you know, kind of going through these and doing the prep work, but also not being like, I must have everything perfect versus, hey, we're going to learn and iterate together. We're going to go forward. We're going to, you know, Carlos uh, Sauna um, talked about this a couple of times, but he said, like, my data product is not stable until it has hit three months. I have to be able to make breaking changes. I have to be able to do this stuff as I really figure out what people are are doing. So don't become overly reliant on exactly what, what I bring out as an initial data product because I need this flexibility. And it sounds like you're setting everybody up to be like, we're in this together and we're, we're creating this flexibility, which I think, you know, is something that a lot of people can take a lot from. But I, I do think a lot of people are just going to be jealous of you as well after this episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's kind of like I was saying, like, we're going to, you know, we'll do all the testing and we'll do everything else. And if the results are bad in the first month, two months, and then it stabilizes, okay, we'll throw those results out and, you know, start fresh so that it's not penalizing all the future use. Because it's not, I mean, it's not about what is the score. It's what is, what is the usage? What can people do? Yeah. I, and I think about this with like physical products. It's really hard to kind of iterate on physical products, right? Like, but, well, and you know this with manufacturing, but, but you could even say, oh, okay, we, we tested this, um, con or this, uh, mix between, you know, the three different, uh, fruits or whatever juices. And we're finding that this, these, um, this mix is way better uh, received than this other mix. And so that's what we're going to do. But like when it comes to software and data and things like that, well, when it comes to software, we're used to being able to iterate. When it comes to data, we're not. And so like setting yourselves up to be like, we're going to have these changes because we want it to serve what people need instead of we want to lock in exactly what we serve from day one. Yeah. That's the historical problem is locking in. This is my schema. This is, I can't change. That's the problem that we're trying to solve. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing that with data contracts where people want to lock on schemas. And I'm like, uh, we, we've had that with APIs on the software side. And if you don't have APIs that can be somewhat flexible as things are, are changing and iterating, you're just, it's, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. I mean, contracts are useful and we're going to need them, but yeah, we got to figure out the right way to kind of implement them. I've done a basic implementation of contracts, but it very much is schema driven right now. You know, it's like, do all the columns match what's in there? And if they don't, then it fails the schema. I know that that's not sustainable in the long term, you know, but again, it's an iteration. That's the first step. Does it work? Well, yeah. And that's like the testing thing of like, hey, we're going to get our arms around that this stuff matters. And then, but I, like, I, I don't know that I've seen anybody that has actually done it, not schema locked. Like, yeah. I don't know of anybody who's doing that, but I think we all know that that shouldn't be what we do, but it is the way that everybody's doing it. So, um, well, oh, we've talked about a whole bunch of different things. I'm, I'm really excited for you and your, and your journey. You know, I, I don't get to talk to many people this early in their journey, so... Um, I, I really enjoy uh, talking about this. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to or, or any way you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode? No, I think we covered pretty well everything that's there. Um, I just think if, be, if people are early in their journey, just work. I know this is going to sound kind of productive to most people, but work on a couple of different areas at the same time because you'll learn from one and the other. You like you can piggyback on top of them. If you just focus on one, then your solution's going to be you know, targeted towards that one person and that one person's need. But if you have at least you know two different people from different domains and different areas, then it's you, know, you can bounce the ideas and things back and forth between them to see what makes sense in total. Yeah, that, that building up the bigger picture to what is the actual enterprise need instead of what is the domain or that use case need. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Where's kind of the best place to do that? Anything specific you'd like people following up about? Yeah, so the best place is LinkedIn. Uh, so you can come and meet just Paul Kabakis uh, and LinkedIn. And they can follow up really pretty much anything. I'm open. I've been, like I said, I've been in computers and development well, a lot longer than most of my life, put it that way. So... 
I know a little bit about a lot of different areas, so I can talk to people about different things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and again, Paul, uh, thank you so much for your time today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Yes. Thank everybody. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Paul Kavakis, Senior Manager of Data and Analytics at Ocean Spray. You can find a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.